Uh, welcome back, everyone. Uh, my name is Ken Sahoski. I'm the uh, Payments and FinTech Analyst at Autonomous Research. We're excited to have Craig uh, Bosberg joining us today. Craig is the uh, Chief Product Officer at MasterCard. He was promoted to this position just under a year ago. Uh, and prior to that, he was the President of North America for five years. Craig, welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ken. Happy to be here. Good to see you. And uh... Happy to be with everyone this morning. Yeah, look, look forward to having a great discussion. Uh, just, just a couple housekeeping items before we get started. Uh, I have to read a quick <laughs> disclaimer ahead of this session. Uh, uh, please note that autonomous research does not cover MasterCard and our prior reports on MasterCard should not be relied upon. Uh, and then secondly, we'd like to make this session interactive. <clears throat> so if you, if you have a question for Craig, uh, feel free to drop those into Q and A uh, box in the Zoom app, or you can email me at ksahoski at autonomous.com, and we'll do our best uh, to get those answered. So, uh, with that, let's let's get started. Uh, Craig, maybe we could start uh, by discussing the scope of your role as Chief Product Officer, what your priorities are, and how they fit into Mastercard's overall strategy. Sure, happy to do that. I uh, so as chief product officer, I lead an integrated uh, product and engineering organization. So that's uh, really overseeing our product strategy, uh, development of strategy, strategy and execution of that strategy for what's effectively all of our payments products, things that that sit uh, for us in our consumer solutions in the B two B space in. Uh, uh, what we think of as new new payments platforms, things we're uh, targeting to uh, or developing to target new payments flows, uh, and so it's a it's a fairly broad remit. Uh, things that have for a long time existed as part of Mastercard's core business, our core debit, credit, commercial, prepaid products, our uh, investments in digital capabilities, uh, our investments in new payment platforms, including some of the, uh, the acquisitions we've made to broaden our reach with Vocalink, the, the uh, assets we acquired from Nets, uh, Transfast, uh, as well as a number of emerging areas like open banking and the acquisitions we've made in that space, things we're looking at in the crypto realm, uh, et cetera. And so, um, and within that, there are a couple of things that we're very focused on as part of our strategy. One is continuing to drive the growth of our core business, uh, which we remain very enthusiastic about its prospects uh, as we continue to benefit from the secular, secular migration and in payments from, uh, from paper-based to digital form. Uh, secondly, uh, positioning MasterCard to participate more broadly in, uh, in new payments flows and things that have historically been beyond the reach of our core business and, and to play a more active role in flows related to things like remittances and disbursements and, and uh, B2B payments and uh, bill payments and things like that, much of which is aligned with our multi-rail strategy and, and things we're investing in there. And then uh, thirdly, really leaning into some areas of, uh, of interest uh, with respect to innovation, uh, technology that's impacting the payment space, things that we see uh, in the realm of, of crypto, of buy now, pay later functionality, things like that, uh, to ensure that the MasterCard network continues to be well positioned to, uh, to benefit and thrive, both for the benefit of ourselves and our, 
our many stakeholders who are, are a part of the network. Yeah, that, that's really helpful and <clears throat> look forward to, uh, to digging into some of those topics in this conversation. Uh, maybe we could touch on uh, just the pandemic and, and how that shifts towards electronic payments, Craig. Uh, I, think, I think my parents are using contactless payments now. They're ordering things online. You know, how, how did you adjust your product strategy uh, in order to help your customers navigate through the pandemic, as well as to put you in a position to capitalize on the changes in consumer behavior that may sustain beyond COVID? Yeah, well, I think the the pandemic uh, I would characterize as being an accelerator to our strategy, as opposed to something that uh, necessitated a, a change in strategy for us. And I think you know the example you gave of your parents is a perfect uh, indicator of that. Uh, a lot of secular uh, movement and, and trends that had been underway literally for decades uh, and have been sort of building in a fairly consistent and, and predictable way as, as commerce, as our lives, as the world around us became increasingly digitized and we increased the, the extent to which we interact with the world electronically and digitally, that's that, that has had a fairly predictable pace of migration. The pandemic has just accelerated that, uh, in some cases by, by virtue of having no choice and there being no other way to interact and therefore transact with the world around us. Uh, in some cases, just because of changing preferences and values and attitudes among consumers and wanting to be able to do things remotely, uh, to minimize contact with, with other people and things. Uh, and so a number of areas we've been investing in for, for years, we've, uh, we've seen accelerated progress and they've, they've, uh, they've taken on an even greater prominence and importance for us as part of our strategy. Some of the things uh, that stand out, uh, contactless, you mentioned, uh, contactless has been on a very steady rate of growth around the globe for, for, uh, for a number of years with a few markets that have been sort of notable holdouts, the U.S. being one of them, we've seen a rapid acceleration in adoption of contactless uh, driven, not just by consumer preference, but interestingly enough, in many cases by merchant preference, encouraging consumers to use contactless and avoiding exchanging uh, physical cards and things like that at the, uh, at the, the point of sale. Uh, and contactless now represents about 45% of our uh, physical point of sale transactions globally. That's up pretty substantially from last year. That's I think a six or seven PPT increase uh, over the prior year. And we see that continue to increase uh, as a preferred way to transact. We've seen as well uh, just a, a uh, acceleration in the, not just the desire for, but the need for merchants to be digitally enabled. Uh, and to be able to, to, to conduct business online, to be able to accept payments online, uh, to be able to expand the channels through which they source customers, uh, and to be able to do that in a way that's safe and secure and, and uh, you know, aligned with their broader business interests. So for us, that's, that's led to a, a significant expansion in acceptance, uh, increased interest in convenient and secure uh, checkout options like click to pay uh, the adoption of new uh, 
acceptance technologies like tap on phone and being able to use a mobile phone as an acceptance device, uh, all of which are just very positive for our network. The, the more we can continue to expand acceptance, which is uh, something we look at as, as uh, one of our most important strategic assets uh, and something that is absolutely core to the value of our network, the, the stronger, you know, the stronger the network is. Uh, and so that's a very positive trend. With that, there are other things that uh, have taken on increased importance, things like uh, uh, as a number of new merchants have come into the digital realm, small businesses in particular who are going online for the first time, that introduces new risks that we can help them manage with things like cybersecurity protection, uh, helping them protect against fraud through uh, things like uh, tokenization technology. Our tokenization uh, volumes have just continued to scale at really accelerated um, think fair to say exponential rates. And we're, we're at a, a point now where we're, we're processing a, a billion tokenized transactions a month. Uh, you know, that's off a, a base of zero less than 10 years ago. I guess uh, that was in sort of 2013-ish timeframe when token technology was introduced into the marketplace. And so a lot of things that are happening there uh, that I think the, the pandemic has just helped accelerate and do it in ways that we feel are, are going to be pretty sticky. These are these are real changes in consumer behavior. Uh, certainly there will be a reversion to some uh, in-person shopping, uh, a reversion to travel. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there's a lot of interest and a lot of convenience that comes with these new digital ways to transact. So we actually think there's this isn't a uh, squeeze the balloon and it disappears from one place and shows up another. It's, I think, sort of going to lift lift us across the board uh, in terms of the progressing that secular migration even even more quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Th thanks for all that detail. Uh, Mastercard's been very active in the digital currency space, Craig. And last week, you announced the planned acquisition of of uh, uh, Cipher Trace. Uh, so maybe you could talk about your cryptocurrency strategy and, and how CypherTrace uh, fits into that. Yeah, well, we're, we're really excited about CypherTrace. Obviously, uh, the crypto world, uh, digital currencies, uh, is an area of, uh, of technological and payments innovation that is uh, exploding uh, in, uh, in, in, in really taking hold in some interesting ways. There's a ton of attention, there's a ton of interest, there's a ton of capital, uh, and there's a lot of investment taking place uh, in that sector. Uh, it is at the same time an area that is still, I'd say in its earlier stages in terms of being um, fully understood from a risk and compliance and regulatory perspective. Obviously the regulatory landscape is still taking shape. Uh, uh, around us. And so for us, CypherTrace presents a really interesting and we thought unique opportunity to bring value into that ecosystem, an ecosystem that is clearly growing uh, and proliferating in different ways to bring value into an ecosystem that will benefit from uh, enhanced abilities to enforce compliance, uh, enhanced abilities to understand the risks associated with transactions, frankly, enhanced abilities just to understand 
whether or not these kinds of crypto assets are present within a particular uh, institution's ecosystem. And that's exactly what CypherTrace does for us. It, en it enables us to be able to look across 900 plus uh, cryptocurrencies uh, and be able to apply leveraging analytics and advanced algorithms that they have developed, apply uh, uh, analytics to understand are, are there crypto assets and crypto transactions taking place within a particular environment and what kinds of risks uh, are associated with those from a fraud perspective and to help various partners manage their compliance obligations with respect to that. So it has, it will enable us to engage in this ecosystem in a new way, working with crypto exchanges, working with banks, uh, working with crypto ATM operators, uh, in exactly the kind of role where we think MasterCard is well positioned and has a great track record of adding value, and that's that's helping to manage the overall integrity of a uh, of a portion of the financial ecosystem. Uh, and so we're very excited to have them on board. As as it relates to our broader uh, digital currency and crypto strategy, the uh, you know this is a. There, there's a, a future ahead that it, it appears likely that, uh, that at least three, if not more, distinct forms of, of crypto and digital currency uh, 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 assets will exist. Uh, certainly in the, the free floating, um, and we're, we'll work to support all three of them, but we'll, we'll support them in different ways. Free, float, free floating cryptos, as you've heard us uh, talk about from time to time, the Bitcoins of the world are obviously a, an interesting uh, asset category for an increasing number of investors. Not something we see as being suitable to facilitate payments because of the inherent volatility in the value of those assets, but to the extent consumers are moving money in and out of those assets, uh, we want to play a role in helping to facilitate that through our ability to move money on our various payment rails. And, uh, and that's something we've been active in doing. We, we're, uh, we are involved in facilitating a fairly significant amount, a significant volume of, of crypto uh, asset purchases. And we'll want to continue to play a role in being uh, part of the on-ramping and off-ramping of, uh, of the exchange of value from fiat into crypto and crypto back to fiat. Uh, to enable those those transactions to occur. Uh, uh, and that actually, that's exactly uh, what we're doing with the pilot we recently announced with Paxos and Circle and Evolve Bank and Trust to help make it easier to facilitate those kinds of transfers back into fiat to uh, enable spending uh, where, you know, in places where MasterCard can be used and then vice versa to go back into crypto assets. On uh, the, the categories that we see as being relevant for payments, uh, CBDCs and, and stable coins, um, obviously very you know different kinds of uh, categories there, but things that we see as, as likely to coexist. CBDCs, uh, to the extent that they are the functional equivalent of fiat currency, we will work with governments around the world to support them on our network to make them available for payment. We're already actively engaged with a number of governments on a variety of conversations related to CBDC from policy-oriented discussions in terms of, you know, what's the role of that in, uh, in a particular economy? How will it uh, 
you know, how does it interact with other uh, tools or capabilities within a particular market to uh, achieve the objectives of that government, uh, whether that's financial inclusion, whether that's more efficiency in the payment system, broader reach, uh, et cetera. Uh, and in a number of cases, working with governments to test how those how those CBDCs would actually function through uh, our CBDC sandbox capability, so that we can test that in a private environment before it's actually exposed in the wild. Stable coins, uh, as we've talked about, you know, stable coins, as long as they meet uh, certain criteria, uh, are something that we'll we'll look to support uh, to facilitate payments on the network. The criteria that we're most focused on, obviously, are, are stability as, uh, as an important criteria to make any particular stable coin suitable, for, uh, uh, suitable as a payment mechanism. Uh, consumer protections to make sure consumer privacy, uh, uh, data management, things like that are done in the right way. And then, obviously, compliance. Uh, and the compliance piece of that is, as you know, still evolving as jurisdictions around the world are, are still developing their regulatory regulatory postures on on uh, different kinds of cryptocurrencies and, and stable coins. So that's how we're looking at uh, how we'll participate in, in that uh, space. And as you know, it's one that's evolving pretty quickly. So yeah, stay that, tuned, I guess. That, that, yeah, look forward to, to following that uh, closely. Uh, Craig, we, we received a, a question from the audience in the in the Q&A box um, that I, I figured I'd just try to weave it in here since we're on this topic. Uh, and, and it reads, is there anything about blockchain technology, and, and anything is in all caps, uh, that, <laughs> that, that you consider superior to your current centralized rails? Uh, and is this something that could scale in the real world? Well, there are some there are some inherently interesting things uh, in blockchain. Uh, I mean, the uh, the ability to uh, to affect transactions in uh, effectively in in real time, the ability for there to be uh, immutability in the the records uh, around that, the uh, uh, the ability to have uh, sort of a distributed as opposed to centralized. Um, Sort of architecture is can is potentially interesting in some applications. The, the question about can it can it scale, I think, remains to be seen. And and you know some of the questions around that, uh, from our perspective, are uh, for the kinds for many of the kinds of use cases and applications that we're interested in, focused on in payments. There, there's an underlying and. and uh, fundamental component, I think, for uh, of any payments uh, capability to scale and be successful, and that's the degree of trust that exists within that system. Uh, we have historically, you know, an important part of our, of our franchise proposition and the MasterCard brand positioning revolves around trust. Uh, and this is a, this is a network that's run on principles that all the participants understand and uh, and and subscribe to, uh, and that enables the delivery of a certain kind of experience consistently to any of the users of that network, consumers or businesses alike. The, you know, I think there's 
open questions uh, that still have to be answered around how is that level of trust achieved uh, or can it be achieved in a distributed sort of system or is there a role for a centralized sort of uh, uh, a more permissioned sort of environment that a, that a MasterCard uh, can operate uh, and provide that kind of trust? I, I think it remains to be seen what it's going to take to drive scale, but there, there are, uh, that's one area that we're, you know, we're very focused on obviously and understanding how we can, how we can play a role to bring trust uh, and confidence and the right kind of protections for consumers and businesses into an environment and into a technology that does have some interesting attributes, but absent that trust factor, I think it's unlikely to scale in a meaningful way. Yeah, absolutely. Th thanks for thanks for your thoughts there. Right. Sure. Craig, Craig you, you talked about <laughs> CypherTrace a, a little bit, maybe sticking with M&A. Uh, you also announced the planned acquisition of AYA uh, in, in the open banking space. Uh, so can you can you tell us a, a little bit more about AYA and your broader open banking strategy? Yeah, uh, I'd be happy to. I'll start with the second part of that, the broader open banking strategy. And, Open banking is an area you know we've been active in for a number of years now. Initially through organic uh, efforts in Europe and, and through some partnerships, uh, in a more material way, uh, as of just just about a year ago, with the acquisition of Finicity here in the U.S. And it's an area that we're we are especially interested in and see significant opportunity uh, for a couple of reasons. It, it open banking is, in our view, a catalyst for and an enabler for innovation in financial services uh, by really enabling consumers to unlock the power of their personal data and use that to vote for the products and services they want, making it available to any service provider who's giving them value in terms of a, a product or a service or an experience. Uh, and so as a catalyst for innovation, while at the same time being we think an important enabler of broader inclusion in financial services by uh, expanding the scope of information that's available for different service providers to make decisions about how to best serve a consumer. Uh, it will extend the reach of mainstream financial services to be able to meet the needs of more consumers. Both of those are powerful trends and things that are important to us to be involved in. We also think there's real value in uh, going back to my answer to the previous question, to having in this emerging and you know really interesting and important um, force in financial services to have a trusted intermediary involved in the exchange of this very sensitive and important data between uh, data providers, data users, at the consent uh, and with the permission of the consumer and to ensure that the data is being accessed in the right way, to ensure the data is being used in the right way, uh, managed in the right way, secured in the right way, et cetera. And so for all of those reasons, we see this as an important part of our future uh, and an important way to participate in, uh, in, in really what the future financial services will be. Our approach around this is really ensuring that we're in a position to establish the right kind of connectivity to enable that data exchange to take place. And by the right kind of connectivity, we're talking about API integrations so that there's direct integration between 
the, uh, the aggregator and the provider of that data, uh, not using screen scraping or some other sort of over the top access technique, establish broad connectivity, build some capabilities on top of that to enable very specific use cases, such as uh, facilitating uh, application for an access to credit, uh, accessing personal financial management services, uh, potentially uh, initiating payments uh, as part of a relationship with some service provider, uh, and then overlay additional value-added services in areas like fraud and identity management, et cetera. And so we're building out our footprint and our capabilities to be able to do that in important markets around the world. We see this as a global phenomenon. We have the strong presence in the U.S. with Finicity. IA gives us a strong foundation to build on in Europe. And, uh, and coming back to the first part of your question, uh, the reason we like them, the reason we were excited to have them become part of MasterCard is they have a solid foundation in Europe. They have strong connectivity. They're establishing that connectivity in the right way, working across the industry and the, and the stakeholders in the industry, banks, you know, financial institutions, the fintechs, users of that data to ensure that, uh, that their platform is being built out in the right way. We've got a great tech, tech platform, a great team, uh, licenses that we can extend across Europe as we look to uh, expand connectivity across, uh, across mainland Europe and the ability now to cross fer fertilize some or cross pollinate some of the capabilities between Finicity into Europe with IA and vice versa IA into the US. So uh, I look at that as an important next step in building out what we see as a, you know, a globally important capability for MasterCard. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Craig, maybe we could touch on, on buy now, pay later. Uh, it, it's a topic that's generated a lot of buzz. I mean, how, how do you think about buy now, pay later? And do you see uh, the buy now, pay later model as an opportunity or a threat to, to MasterCard? Yeah, I, it's interesting. I guess uh, buy now, pay later has uh, sort of taken on this life of its own over the course of the last year or so. The concept, of course, isn't, isn't new. Um, uh, it's another, another form or another manifestation of, of credit. Uh, many of which we've been involved with for some time. And this is one we've been in, you know, the, the buy now, pay later capability or functionality is one that we've been involved with for some time now as well, working with uh, a number of our partners, our, our financial institution partners to make the, uh, the APIs available to them to be able to incorporate installment payments functionality into their product offerings. Uh, and we've done this with a number of, of, uh, of partners, banks and processors, our partnership with TSIS, for example, that makes this available through their platform. Uh, and, uh, and have used that to enable banks in various markets, including a recent uh, launch in Australia with uh, an installment only product that we've launched with, uh, with CBA and, and with Citi in Australia to enable you know, what we think of as, as traditional sort of incumbent lenders to be able to participate and offer a buy now, pay later kind of, uh, of service to their consumers. At the same time, we've been partnering with, with uh, players who are more, uh, um, 
more singularly focused on the category. People like Afterpay and and Pine Labs and Jiffy and Splitit uh, to work with them as partners to uh, leverage Mastercard capabilities in building out their uh, their products and services. And so that's something we've been doing for some time. I think it's important though to think about buy now pay later. And I, I think we look at it in the context of. Uh, uh, some of the, 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 the buy now pay later specialists who have been working to build up their, and they've, they've built some nice businesses, but build effectively as closed loop models. We have always and continue to uh, subscribe to the, the value of an open loop model uh, vastly outweighing a closed loop model uh, just because of the size and the scope and the reach on both sides of our ecosystem, both with consumers by through the various lending partners we work with uh, and on the merchant side through our acceptance network, which as I mentioned, continues to grow at a fairly healthy clip. Ultimately, you know, the, the, the value and the, I think the headroom for growth for uh, offerings in the payments space is in part defined by the extent to which it can achieve ubiquity. And uh, an open loop model provides a much greater opportunity to uh, to leverage the ubiquity that's already in place to reach more consumers and more merchants. And so that our focus is there and continuing to build on the capabilities, the assets we have by virtue of the open loop model and incorporate other capabilities that we also have invested in security uh, in the form of, of tokenization. Uh, the push we're making in click-to-pay as a convenient uh, uh, means to check out, and not just check out, but for the consumer to make different kinds of choices about how they want to pay for things at the point of sale. Uh, our digital-first capabilities, the ability to inject some of the kinds of uh, data flows um, that I just described as part of our open banking strategy into a buy-now-pay-later kind of product offering uh, our gateway capabilities, et cetera. So there's this broad array of assets that we're working with our partners to configure in different ways to enable them to offer, uh, to offer, uh, you know, their own, their own off their own products in the installments lending space, as well as continuing to partner with these uh, specialist players in that category. Yeah. yeah look, look forward to, uh, to following the progress there. Uh, really exciting space. Craig, maybe you could talk about uh, uh, your, your multi-rail strategy, um, and maybe you could touch on your progress with the applications you've launched in areas like consumer bill payments and 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 B two B. I'd be happy to. Uh, our our multi-rail strategy, as you know, is uh, as I mentioned earlier, is an important um, component of how we are. Uh, positioning MasterCard to participate in a broader range of payments flows. Uh, uh, we love our card rails. We have great uh, we have great faith and confidence in the future uh, for our card rails. Debit and credit uh, have a long runway ahead of them, but we also recognize they're not suitable for every kind of payments transaction, and and there's a large addressable market opportunity out there uh, that we can go after if we have broader capabilities uh, and, and, and more diversified means through which we can intermediate payments. And that's exactly what the multi-rail strategy is about. So 
It focuses on extending the reach of the MasterCard network through investments in infrastructure to complement the debit and credit rails that we have in 200 plus markets around the world with things like real-time payment capability, with things like account to account payment capability, push payments capability, blockchain and DLT technology, et cetera. Uh, open banking is an element of that, uh, not specifically uh, with respect to a payment, although oftentimes used in conjunction with a payment. So the reach that we've built out uh, through these investments in infrastructure is substantial at this point, uh, and I think unsurpassed in the payments industry in, in terms of the reach that we have across the globe and across different kinds of rails. Uh, we then on top of that reach, then um, we can develop and deploy applications to target specific payments flows. And, uh, and to do that in a way that offers both consumers and merchants greater choice in how they pay and get paid. Uh, and that ultimately is the objective. There, there's a couple of particular, uh, of areas in particular that we're focusing on as far as those uh, those new flows go, you've mentioned a couple of them, bill payments being one. Uh, B2B payments is another, remittances and disbursements uh, is another. Um, since you asked specifically about bill pay and B2B, I'll, I'll spend a minute on those. Bill payment uh, is one where we've got, we've been focusing on a couple of particular geographies, the US being one uh, with building and launching the, the bill pay exchange. We're continuing uh, to make good progress in uh, enrolling partners on uh, on both sides of that ecosystem. And the bill payment space is an ecosystem build. We need billers uh, to sign up to have their bills presented uh, through our bill pay exchange. And we need, we need banks to sign up to make the bill pay exchange capabilities available to their consumer premise behind bill pay exchange is to enable digital presentment of bills by billers directly through the bank, uh, the bank's digital interface uh, to be presented to the consumer in their mobile banking or, or, or e-banking uh, application uh, where they can see on a consolidated basis digital uh, representations of those bills and they can go through and just simply uh, determine when and how they want to pay each of those bills and the bills, the bills may be paid on a card. If the merchant accepts card for payment, it may be paid via a real-time payment. It might be paid via, you know, batch ACH. That's at the discretion of the consumer. Uh, but with that, there's also real-time messaging that goes back and forth to uh, confirm payment uh, and receipt of that. So, as I said, we're focusing on uh, signing up partners on either side of the ecosystem. We've got uh, partnerships in place right now with billers that represent about a quarter of the bills that are generated in the U.S. market. We have partnerships with banks who represent about a, th a third of consumers in the U.S. market, and we're continuing to build on that, uh, you know, to drive that, that business towards scale. We also, in the bill pay space, of course, uh, have uh, acquired as part of the NETS assets, uh, a very attractive bill payments business uh, in the Nordics, uh, uh, which is a fascinating market for, uh, you know, the 
representative of the future of payments and the, the uh, almost complete digitization of payments uh, in those economies. And, and so we're excited about uh, building on those capabilities and extending those into, into additional markets as well. On the B2B front, similar thing. Again, it's, a, it's an ecosystem build. Uh, the, uh, effectively, what we're doing with Track BPS is building a, uh, a two-sided network of buyers and suppliers to be able to uh, facilitate accounts payable and accounts receivable transactions. Uh, and to do that in a way where supplier payment preferences are, uh, are understood and the, the way in which the payment is matched and the, the timing and when the payment is made, et cetera, all conform with the supplier's preferences and, uh, and, and therefore uh, that directory of preferences is sort of driving into multi-rail payment capabilities to be able to facilitate payments in a variety of ways and with that have the necessary data accompany the transaction to enable reconciliation of that uh, invoice and, and payment data. Uh, and again, we're, we're working to sign up partners on both sides of the ecosystem. We're working with B2B partners who, who represent buyers on one side and B2B partners who represent sellers on the other. Uh, and you've seen us make some announcements of late with, uh, with partners like um, with Barclay Card in the UK and FreshBooks here in the U.S. and and others who are, are signing on to track BPS. Uh, and so we're excited to see that continue to grow and scale as well. The B2B payments market, you know, we've said many times, it's a big market, it's an attractive market. It's not a market that's going to convert its, its uh, behaviors overnight. So this is gonna be a, a build, but it's a build into a large enough opportunity that we, uh, we see that effort as being well worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a hard one to crack for sure. Uh, Craig, Craig, maybe you could provide an update on MasterCard, MasterCard's uh, cross-border services, uh, including your progress with uh, TransFast and uh, and MasterCard Send. Sure. Yeah, uh, cross-border services uh, really is at the heart of one of those other new payment flows uh, that I alluded to with the last question around uh, remittances uh, and disbursements, cross-border services, and MasterCard send together uh, basically serve the, the full range of needs for domestic and cross-border remittances and disbursements. And so this is also a, a, a really interesting area and one that we're, we have, uh, we're very focused on, uh, on penetrating and capturing opportunities there. Uh, you mentioned TransFast. Our, our integration of TransFast is complete. Uh, you know, we we have uh, we we worked our way through that pretty quickly, and and with that, you know, TransFast is powering access for us to more than a hundred markets uh, to facilitate cross-border payments and helping us deepen partnerships with with people like Western Union and Bancorp and. Uh, a number of partners in the Middle East, they have a very strong footprint in, uh, in the Middle East region. And so we're excited to continue to build on the capabilities that came in through TransFast as part of uh, a broader sort of cross-border services offering. TransFast is, is one, one leg in that stool uh, and also sits alongside MasterCard Send, which you asked about, uh, which between the two of them combined, you know, I, I talked in the earlier question about 
the importance of establishing reach and then targeting specific uh, payments flows and specific use cases. Between the two of them combined, uh, we believe we have unsurpassed reach in terms of the, the number of uh, the number of card networks, the number of real-time payments networks, the number of ACH networks, the number of uh, cash-out partners um, uh, to sort of achieve the last mile if somebody wants to receive a, a remittance in the form of cash, the number of gateway partners, et cetera. So between them, we have very extensive reach to be able to serve domestic and cross-border uh, corridors and uh, and are building out then uh, a, a, a large number of use cases. Uh, with MasterCard Send now, we're literally uh, serving more than 20 different use cases in uh, in the uh, for disbursements uh, and remittances, both domestic and cross border. We have a variety of partners all around the world, uh, ranging from banks. Fintechs, neobanks, merchants, marketplaces, uh, insurance companies, gaming operators. It's a long list of partners who are now leveraging these capabilities to be able to facilitate payments. And, and we're very pleased with the progress there and pleased with the growth and, uh, and see that as an important driver of our business going forward. Craig, we have just a few minutes left. So uh, maybe maybe we could touch on one more question. Uh, maybe you could provide an update on on the traction you're seeing with click to pay. Um, I know that was a a big focus uh, uh, pre COVID, and I think uh, a lot of merchants and the whole ecosystem uh, they they were focused on other things during the pandemic. But how much effort are are you putting behind uh, distributing that to merchants? And we just love an update there. Yeah, well, we're putting a lot of effort behind it. We uh, we click to pay is an important initiative for us uh, uh, for a variety of reasons. I mean, click to pay is is uh, it's thought of, I think, by many as a as an easy sort of one click uh, means of checking out in the guest checkout environment when people are are shopping online, but. We see it as being more than that. We see it as a as being a conduit to deliver other kinds of value added services and offerings to consumers at the point of sale, and so uh, we're pushing hard on on uh, both sides of the ecosystem to uh, to enable click to pay at the scale that we wanted to. We're live in uh, eleven countries around the world today. We have a number of additional markets coming online throughout the course of the next year. And uh, and as is the case with all of our uh, initiatives where we're looking to scale something on each side of the ecosystem, we're working with our B2B partners on the merchant side through uh, partly through our own our own gateway, uh, which has some some nice reach and uh, and can make that available to a, a number of, uh, of merchants, but through merchant service providers who are also making that available to their customers, you know, people like Adyen and and Braintree and, and Square, who are helping to enable their their end user merchants with click to pay, uh, and we're you know we're pushing hard on on creating the ultimate degree of ubiquity that we're going to need in the acceptance environment. At the same time, we're working with banks, uh, 
where we can to encourage them uh, to have consumers enroll. Uh, in some cases, working with them to enroll consumers in bulk, uh, so that you know uh, it's it's uh, a, a consumers' credentials are readily available for use in Click to Pay, and and it makes it a very seamless experience. Consumers can also enroll directly, uh, but it certainly helps to have their their financial institution undertake some of that uh, work on their behalf. Uh, so that you'll continue to see us push hard on that uh, in the years ahead uh, as we roll out to new markets and then build out the right reach on both sides of the ecosystem and drive drive volume and scale. That, that's really helpful, Craig. All right, I think uh, we're out of time, so I think we're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Craig, thanks so much for, for speaking with us today. We really appreciate your support and, and the support from MasterCard, and uh, I look forward to doing this again next year. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for having right. me.